Namotasambhagavatoarahatoasamasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhudasambhud
reading or sugar, caffeine, there's all sorts of other things that we can get addicted to and we can, we can work on those addictions. Then the uh, precept, one of the, the eight precepts on the next one, number six, is the not eating in the afternoon. And the, there's nothing immoral, is there, about eating in the afternoon. It, this is a, a renunciate precept. So the, the fir first five precepts that, uh, that lay people live on, five precepts, they're called the moral precepts. So there's a, or the natural precepts. So there's a natural negative consequence if somebody breaks one of those precepts. Natural karmic consequence. Whereas the eight precepts, these are called renunciate precepts. So they're the extra precepts that are taken on top, renunciation precepts. And there's nothing immoral about, uh, say, eating in the afternoon. But uh, coming to stay at the monastery, becoming an Anagarika, joining the community, seminar as monks, we, we don't eat in the afternoon. We have a precept against eating in the afternoon. And this provides a, a really good way of working with the first noble truths. That's the first noble truth of suffering and then the cause of suffering, craving. So we have a, a visceral, we can have a visceral experience of hunger and see how that makes us suffer. See what our relationship to hunger and craving is. And if do we buy into it? Does it, does it make us suffer or do we push it away and wrestle with it or is it not a problem? Is, is it okay? So working with hunger, food. The next precept, number seven, is a precept against entertainment and, and adornment, beautification. So when we sit down to meditate, we can notice our desire to distract ourselves. Uh, it can, it's quite, can be quite strong, especially in, in our culture. There's, uh, people want to be distracted. People will pay to be distracted. There's a massive industry of distraction and entertainment in our world. And uh, when we come to sit to meditate, we can see the strength of that, that wanting distraction. Sleeping, the eighth precept. Sleeping. So the uh, eighth precept is against, a precept against well, literally sleeping on a high and luxurious bed, but we, we take that to mean not to overindulge in, in sleep. On a more subtle level, when we sit down to meditate, we can see how we might want to just numb out or zone out, just go into a, a kind of a comatose, peaceful, numb state. So those are a way of working with the eight precepts to, to kind of refine our practice bit more when we're staying in the monastery or at home maybe once a week or for periods of time people keep the eight precepts at home another thing that the that the eight precepts do is is what we're doing is we're we're blocking off the the, the roots that our energy normally flows down the outflows of our energy the floods of energy and our attention move down these roots of um, food, sex, entertainment, sleep. And then when we come to the monastery, we, we block those. So there's these energies can't flow down in the same way, down those roots. So there's a build-up of energy. There's a build-up of intensity when we stay in the monastery on eight precepts or keep the eight precepts at home. And the, um, like for instance, the, the uh, lake down at the uh, bottom of the hill here. Originally, before 1970, that was just a little stream. It's a very small 
stream and you can see at the bottom of the hill on the right there at the corner of the road at the bottom of the hill tiny spring that feeds it very small spring but uh, the farmers uh, to cross the main road Bradford farm farmer stopped and his son built that dam in 1970 and over a period of time the water built up and eventually there was four acres there's about four acres of water there now so there's tons of water pressing against that dam all coming from that little stream being dammed and that uh, energy it can be used if, if the outflow if you were to put a little electric a little wheel you could generate electricity there and then in in Scotland uh, there are small burns up in the mountains that get dammed and turned into locks or lakes and I can use those to generate significant amounts of electricity there's a lot of power and, uh, and, and electricity that can be generated from just from the flow of water. What we're doing is something quite similar by damming these uh, outflows, food, sex, entertainment, sleeping, by damming these outflows. And then for the, for the seminarians, it's money as well for the monks. So we we're, don't use money and there's 227 rules that, that we keep that increase the intensity. By building up this energy, this intensity, then it has a power to it, it has a, has a reason, there's a reason behind it. It's, uh, the reason is transformation. If we can learn to contain this energy, if we can learn to channel it, then it uh, leads to spiritual transformation, that's the purpose of it. Same way that, um, for instance, carbon, if you put carbon under high pressure it turns into diamonds, if you have a strong saturated solution of salt, then crystals get formed. One of the problems, though, is if you build, when you build up this intensity, is, is that there can be uh, leaks. There's a project that um, apprentice welders do, where they take six sheets of metal and weld them together into, into a cube and the welds go, go along each edge and they, they put a, a valve in the top and then pump in air under pressure and if the cube inflates into a ball then they, they pass the test but if one of the joints leaks then it just stays as a cube and, and they fail. When we uh, when you live under the eight precepts at home or if you come to the monastery and keep the eight precepts or go and retreat and live on the eight precepts then um, there can be these leaks. Like it can be, it can be um, anxiety, worry. It could be anger, ill will. It could be desire. There's all, all kinds of ways this energy can come out. When I was um, a few years ago, I was, I was on retreat in, in Spain, and uh, <clears throat> with a friend, and uh, we were on. In an orchard, it was a kind of farmer's orchard, orange orchard in Andalusia, Granada, and the, there was a um, system of aqueducts in the in the area, and the, the water would come from from the mountaintop, snow melt, and would be guided through these aqueducts uh, about 20 miles or so to this uh, this valley where we were staying, 
and it's a system of aqueducts that goes right back to the Roman times. This farmer, for two hours every fortnight, he'd get uh, water. And so what would happen was the, the farmer upstream from him would put a sluice gate in the aqueduct and then the water would come channeling down to our farmer. <clears throat> and then he'd race around as a system of, of kind of little dams and sluice gates in his land and he'd flood all the orchards and all the parts of his land during that two-hour period. And then he'd also fill up these two enormous tanks that he had there, about 20, 30 feet high, made out of um, bricks and plaster, kind of like cylinder-shaped tanks, and fill these up with water. And at the end of the two hours, he'd put uh, his sluice gate into the aqueduct, and the water would flow on back down to his neighbour, and would go around all the different farmers in the valley and come back to him in two weeks' time. And the, these big tanks that he was filling up, they're made of brick and plaster. They had hairline cracks at the bottom, so he had these shooting arcs of water coming out under high pressure, shooting out like 20 feet into the air, coming out. And you wouldn't want to put your hand on them. I mean, it would really hurt. They were really coming out under pressure for these, from the 20 or 30 feet of water above them. So these leaks that, that we can have in, in our practice, if, if you come here to stay, or you go and retreat, or keep the eight precepts at home, then you'll start to notice these uh, increase in pressure. Um, start to notice these leaks, and they, they can, be, can be embarrassing. It can be, if, if you're, it depends what type of personality you are, that the way it manifests. So if you're an angry type of person, find yourself getting angry about things that you don't normally would normally get angry about the, the way somebody opens the window when you want it shut or shut the window when you want it open or they're noisy or the way they shut the door or if you're a, more of a desire person you find yourself getting obsessed with desires that don't normally obsess you or if you're an anxious person you start getting obsessively anxious about something I've offended somebody or I've done my chore wrong or I've broken a rule or so this intensification, the, these leaks of, of energy, they're uh, hard work actually, they're, they're kind of quite difficult when they happen. And it's the thing about um, spiritual practice is things get worse actually, that's the kind of surprise. <laughs> People expect that they're going to be, get better straight away, but actually to start with, you know, they get worse before they get better. Eventually they get better, but they get worse before they get better. So, the thing about Buddhism, the great thing about Buddhism is that we have a, there's a tool that, that, we, that we give you to deal with all that. We don't just leave you high and dry. I mean, there are other monastic orders where they, um, they don't really have the same tools that Buddhism has to deal with this phenomena of, of intensity of energy that comes from renunciation. And the monks and nuns in these orders, they often hear about scandals and all sorts of things going wrong. Because when the energy builds up, you need a, a way of dealing with it. You need a tool. And the tool is uh, it's mindfulness of breathing. M mindfulness of the body and mindfulness of breathing. The, uh, for many people, uh, when they first start to try and do mindfulness of, of breathing, you, you're, the instruction is to, to be aware of the feeling of breathing in your torso, the belly and chest. And for, for some people, when they're directed to be aware 
of the sensations in the middle part of the body, the torso, they don't feel anything. It's just, it's just numb for some people. Not for everyone. For some people, there's sensitivity there. And for some people, even before they start meditating, if they're asked to make a decision, they consult the, the feeling in, the, in their torso and they're, they're kind of alive already. But for other people, and, and quite a number actually, there's, for various reasons, there's numbness. You, you ask them what's going on, what do they feel, and it's, it's nothing. So for many people, it's, it takes quite a bit of practice to, to develop this, the sensitivity of uh, what it feels like to breathe in and breathe out. For some people, it comes quicker. One, I think one important thing to, to understand that helps a lot in understanding what we're doing when we do mindfulness of breathing is to understand what it is that... Uh, the ancient Indians in, in the 5th century BC, what they meant by uh, wind element or air or breath. What did they mean by that? What did they understand by that? And f for many of us, when we think about gas or air, we've had a scientific education at school. There was Boyle, I think, in the 1800s or 1700s, came up with a, a, a theories of what a gas is. We have a, a more modern, tend to have a more modern scientific perception of what a gas is and, and what we, what we, when we be mindful of the breath, what we're trying to do. Whereas in the 5th century BC in India, the wind element uh, was to, uh, pointing to movement. So like a flag that waves in the wind, and the flag's moving, or the leaves that move in the wind. So the, uh, what they're to talking about, when they're talking about the wind element, they're talking about movement. So there's the, when you breathe in, there's a physical sensation of movement in the belly, the chest, the, the organs, the bones, the muscles, they're, they're all moving. And there's a sensation associated with that as you breathe in, and a sensation associated with that uh, as you breathe out. And to start with, it's not much. It's not that interesting. It's, kind of, it's not particularly pleasant. It's not particularly painful. It's quite difficult to, to pay attention to it. But if we can pay attention to it, it's, it's, it's a bit like when, when you start with a thumbnail picture on, on the computer and then it expands out to be a normal size photo and then eventually can expand to fill the whole screen. And uh, the same way that our attention, with the, when we attend to the breathing, then the, the longer we attend to it, then the, the more we absorb into it. Or like a flower, if you're walking past a a flower, you might not even notice it, you might just walk past it, but if you stop and look at a flower for a moment, you can see it's beautiful, but if you stop and look at it for half an hour, you might even have a religious experience. And same thing with the breathing. Normally, people don't notice it, do they? You can go through a whole day or a whole lifetime and not really notice the physical sensation of breathing. But, um, but if we just attend to it, even for one or two breaths, it's already, you can see how it makes you feel more peaceful, just two or three breaths. And, but then if you pay attention to it consistently for half an hour, then the mind calms right down. It's a, it's a lovely effect on the body. And if you're paying attention to the physical sensation of breathing in and breathing out, uh, the awareness, the mind expands, starts to fill up the whole body. Uh, you start to notice the sensations in the arms and legs and hands, a sort of tingling sense of movement. And it, do, it feels as if you're breathing in and out through your hands and feet. And we know you're not, of course. I mean, the, when we call it the, the breath.
breath energy, what we're referring to is, is this sensation of movement in the body. And it's partly it's in the torso, but also it can spread through the whole body. There's, there's a whole kind of living current of energy spreading through the whole body. And naturally, the mind enjoys that. The mind really likes that experience of being with this living current of energy, a sensation of breathing in and breathing out through the whole body. And it's happy with that. It, it, it uh, starts to give up thinking, believing that you can find happiness through thinking about things or through objects outside. You start to say, well, actually, I can be happy just being, just breathing. I can be completely happy doing that. This getting the knack of this, this, this kind of energy work, using mindfulness of the breathing, mindfulness of the body, developing this, this um, uh, energy work. The purpose of that is, is that you can learn to manage your, your energies. You can learn to sort of channel, channel corral them, manage them. And, and so then these leaks uh, stop being such a big problem. So it's the, uh, the energy which is manifesting in anxiety, desire, anger and so on. And we can start to manage that energy start to uh, kind of integrate it. Another benefit of, of the eight precepts is, is often people say, you know, when they see people keeping the eight precepts, they start to see that they're kind of glowing, they've got a kind of radiance to them. That radiance that comes from, it's a fruit of you know, renunciation, sense restraint. You can use it in, in your meditation. There's the radiance of the Brahma Viharas, uh, Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity. One way of practicing the, the four Brahma Viharas, Metta and so on, is, is a, a bit more conceptual and visual. You develop it towards yourself, loving kindness to yourself, towards a good friend, towards a neutral person, towards an enemy, and then towards a all four equally and, and towards all beings. And, uh, <clears throat> but that's actually a commentarial uh, system. The way the, uh, the Buddha taught it in the, in the suttas was he taught it as a, as a radiance, loving kindness. The four Brahma Viharas were taught them as a, a radiance. And there's the chant that we do in the morning where we're suffusing with the, with the, the, suffusing with the divine abidings and the the chant goes, well, in English, the translation is, I abide pervading the first quarter with a heart imbued with loving kindness. And also the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth, and then up and down and all around. So it's like you're directing it uh, to your front, uh, everyone in front of you, to everyone to the side of you, everyone behind you, everyone to the other side, and then up and down. So it's like a, kind of a light bulb sort of thing, the radiance the way that the Buddha taught it. And it can be a bit difficult to, to, get, to get the hang of it and you think, oh, what's, what on earth is that about? But uh, if you get a feeling for it, and then if you tap into this um, the kind of a natural radiance that, that can come if you're keeping the, the uh, eight precepts or ten precepts of your fruits of renunciation and sense restraint, then this this intensification of energy, if you can learn to contain it, then one fruit of it is, is this uh, 
radiance, the radiance of the four Brahma Viharas you can use in meditation. And that's that's pleasant, just it's a very pleasant abiding just in um, in and of itself. But it can also be used as a platform for understanding, for, for insights. When the mind's calm, then you can start to investigate the nature of the body, which is our meditation object already. We're already aware of our body. You can start to see how that's insubstantial, it's hollow, empty, impermanent, and feelings. Similarly, you see how they come and go, they're impermanent, insubstantial, empty, hollow, not self. Perceptions, start to examine those with a quiet mind. And like the perception of this carpet here, we, we, we naturally, unconsciously imbue things with substantiality. We just assume that. But actually, the, this carpet, it's a perception like a mirage. It's just hanging in the space of awareness. It's insubstantial, empty, hollow. All our thoughts and, and emotions, the Buddha compared those to a, a tree that has no core, a banana tree that has no core to it. It's kind of empty. All our thoughts and emotions that we take so seriously, we have a strong sense that this is me, that these are mine. And when we, when we look at them, there's no essence there. We can't find any essence, there's no core to them. And then the, the, the consciousness, sense consciousness, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, Examine that and see that all those things that we experience are impermanent, are insubstantial, moving, changing. They have no essence to them. They're all just hanging in the space of awareness. And then we can turn our attention around and, and look inwards and see if we can find this uh, me in here that, that we assume to be there. And, and when the mind's quiet, what we see is just a wide open space of awareness. It's just this wide open, quiet space. Can't find that little homunculus who's driving. It's just this quiet, wide open space. The uh, purpose behind keeping the precepts, is the sense restrained and renunciate precepts, is to build up this, this kind of energy that we can use in our spiritual practice. And we can use the meditation Mindfulness of breathing, mindfulness of the body to learn to channel, corral, kind of integrate this, this energy, the intensification of energy, the intensification of life. We can learn to manage that. And then we can learn to, to, uh, to see this radiance that naturally comes when there's an intensification of energy. Then there's this radiance which we can use in our meditation, developing the full Brahma Viharas. Loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy and equanimity. And we can use that as, as a platform to develop a, a deeper understanding of our experience of what's actually happening in, in our lives. And then, uh, according to the Buddha, then with that understanding, then we can eventually start to experience more freedom and liberation in our lives. And according to the Buddha, we can eventually achieve a complete liberation from this round of rebirth and samsara that we're all stuck in at the moment. So I'd like to offer those words for your consideration, reflection tonight.